I'm Leah Carey, and this is Good Girls Talk About Sex. This is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. Before we get started, I want to tell you this. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with the things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. In today's episode, we'll meet Yaz, a 30-year-old cisgendered female who is half Persian and half European. I wanted to interview her because I recently saw her describe herself this way. Quote, my assets include diversity. I am genderqueer, pansexual, a person of color, fat, and make under $30,000 a year, a playful attitude, I'm really a kid and an adult body, and a know-how of holding space for those whose voices get lost in the shuffle. Our conversation went on for almost an hour, and there's so much we couldn't include in this episode. You're going to want to hear the whole thing, including Yaz talking about her early explorations with women. So now is the time to head to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex to access the full uncut interview. I'm so pleased to introduce Yaz. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. You grew up in the United States, correct? Correct. Okay. But you grew up in a home that represented multiple ethnicities. Um, A little bit. My dad is Iranian. And from when I was born to age eight, I was around a lot of his family, as well as my mom's who's French and Scottish. So um, I did have some of like my grandparents and my and my aunts and uncles around to kind of um, implement the culture, the Persian culture, and we you know celebrate different holidays and and do different things around that. Once I moved to Arizona, it was I was I didn't have my dad's side around me anymore, so um, it felt more like I was growing up in a in a white household, and I had white friends comparatively to when I was in California. I had friends of um, more uh, additional like races. How old were you when you moved from California to Arizona? I was eight. Okay. So you had that very sort of multi-ethnic surrounding until eight. And then after that, you said you felt like you were in a more sort of white situation. Yeah. Yeah. I I really never considered myself a person of color until I was much older. Oh, really? At what point did that come for you? When I moved to Portland in 2014. Uh um, I just like, I felt like I was just a a tan white person um, (laughs) and, and, you know, was a brunette and didn't really classify myself as someone who was looked at differently. And maybe I was blind to it. I'm not sure. But my full name is Yasmin Amir Soleimani. That's alone. You know, if someone, if a white person sees that, they might get some ideas. And that just didn't compute with me um, until I was, yeah, until I was older. Okay. So what did you learn from your parents about what sexuality was or what quote unquote appropriate sexuality was? 
I didn't learn much from them directly. There wasn't a lot of talk in the household in regards to, you know, the birds and the bees or, you know, what it means for me to masturbate, what it means for me if I, you know, like someone that wasn't really talked about. I had more conversations with my sister. Um, she's four and a half years older. So she told me about the first time she like French kissed a girl. And um, so we would have, we'd have more conversations between us, but I felt more embarrassed talking to my parents. And I think because they didn't really approach me about it at a younger age. I got more of my information from the internet and uh, from friends. Hmm. Did you see your parents interacting with any sort of affection or any sense of a sexual relationship between them? Um, not definitely not really sexual more that, um, like, you know, kisses and, and quick embraces and, you know, some, a couple, I love you's, but nothing to the point of that. Like I, I would, uh, uh, imagine them going to like their room and, and having a good time together that, that would never have crossed my mind. (laughs) (laughs) And when you were a kid, did you assume that, um, that's what an adult relationship was like, just a few pecks and a f- couple, you know, I love yous, or did you already want more? Um, I felt like I wanted more. Um, I wasn't, uh, uh totally keen on like, on, on instantly, uh, creating a relationship, a romantic relationship with someone and like feeling like I had to get married and had kids. I never had that. Um, it was more like wanting to, um, build an, um, uh, like emotional rapport with, with people and really get to know them, you know, deep down in their soul. And so, um, I, I knew there was other, other, op- like other, um, kinds of relationships and combinations out there. Um, I didn't really think that o- like only my parents' relationship was the only one that would exist. Mm. Can we talk about your first memory of sexual desire? Oh, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, what was your first memory of sexual desire? (laughs) Let me tell you. Um, So I definitely remember discovering uh, while taking a bath and uh, taking a shower uh, the way the water would like fall on me if I was like lying in the tub. And I really liked that sensation, like from the shower, I noticed that when I would kind of like rub myself, I was really interested in my genital area and my vagina and my vulva. I was like, you know, what is this? I'm looking in the mirror. Um, and so that's how I discovered, you know, my clitoris and like what felt good. Um, but my fingers were never enough. It had to be, you know, something harder or something that was more powerful. And that's where the tub faucet came in. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the tub faucet. I remember it well. <laughs> Got the legs up when I was still flexible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how old were you, do you think, when you discovered that? Um, that was about eight, eight or nine. And you said you were already looking in the mirror. That never would have occurred to me. What, <laughs> what caused you to look in the mirror? Um, probably all my pubic hair. <laughs> uh, I started getting pubic hair when I was five. Um, wow. I ha- yeah, I went through early onset puberty um, and I started wearing a bra in fourth grade. I actually felt like I grew into my sexuality faster than other people because I was going through that, um, like other girls my age, because I was going through that um, uh, and not being able to, you know, relate to it with other people, which was Hmm. weird. Do you think that the, like the early growth of pubic hair, 
does that have to do with your Middle Eastern heritage or does that have to do with your particular body? Um, I think it was my particular body, but at the same time, like I have really like I have black hair and there's a lot of it. Like I definitely if if you're going to think of something of someone having a bush, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, it's both. It's both. Huh. So you are about eight years old, you're lying in the tub with your feet in the air, (laughs) discovering the pleasures of the faucet. At what point did you connect that to, um, from feeling like, oh, that feels good to, oh, that is something that has to do with the thing that adults do, like, that's actually sexual? Mm, Good question. Um, I think... Because like, um, I was really big on clitoral stimulation. Um, and so when I discovered that with the faucet, like I, you know, I discovered orgasms at that point, discovering porn at an early age, um, where the focus was, you know, on the genital area, then that's what made me think this was something that was sexual. And I knew about masturbation at that point and what that was. Um, so it, it, I kind of like tied everything together. So how did you discover porn? It's, well, Windows 95 provided. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I remember moving to Arizona when I was eight. Um, and then I had a computer in my room <laughs> and we hooked up on the, uh, hooked up on the internet. I mean, it must have just been through like media. Um, I'd imagine I, I can't remember exactly the first time that I, you know, punched in a, a porn site into the browser, but I don't know. I, I mean, movies like watching movies and just seeing like sex scenes in movies just really turned me on. I would, I would literally watch, I would, I would like see a movie for the first time, see that there were these scenes in it that I really enjoyed. And then when that movie would come on or, or like I'd play that movie later, I would skip to those parts. Cause I want it. Like I just really desired watching that and having that visual stimulation. I did the same thing. And I was so ashamed of it. I thought there was something terribly wrong with me. <laughs> I love that. I've never actually said that to anyone. Um, and I'm really glad that you have had the same experience. Yeah. Like, there must have been grooves in the VHS tapes yeah. in certain scenes. <laughs> I'm a little older than you are. <laughs> it was the DVD where you could skip to the chapter. <laughs> Damn it. I wish I'd had that. <laughs> Yeah. So um, what kinds of it at the point that you actually went seeking porn uh, on Windows 95? Thank you, Internet. (laughs) What kinds of things were you seeking? Like what kinds of scenes turned you on? Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely like I, I liked men, sexy, skinny, muscular men having sex with women with like big breasts, maybe if they like a lot of like threesomes with two women and one man, um, and, uh, very penetrative, um, didn't really like, um, oral sex, watching oral sex. I really liked the, the penetrative, the fucking part of it. So skipping ahead a little bit, how does that line up with your current sexual desires? Are they primarily penetrative? Is that the, like, profile of the man that you desire the the threesomes with two women and not liking oral nope (laughs) (laughs) 
I read that. It's definitely shifted. <laughs> um, no, uh, I love, um, bo- you know, bodies of, or, uh, you know, uh, all genders, all body types. Um, I, all, all breast sizes. Um, my, my desire doesn't really don't fall within the, like, being a feeling like I want penetrative sex all the time. Um, I've recently been discovering that I might be um, leaning more towards um, asexuality or gray, gray asexuality, which means it's not really black and white. There's, um, there's a gray area to it, which means I could be attracted to somebody and really want them to like, whether, you know, it's, it's any gender, you know, they're fucking me with a strap on, they're fucking me with their, you know, their penis, it's, um, that can be one day and the next day I, I may just not want that at all. And it's, um, and it's a recent discovery of mine. Um, so I'm still navigating it, but I feel that, um, but it's, it's nice to have a word for it. It's nice to have a label for it cause it's, it's been confusing, but, uh, I, I did want that. I definitely did want that when I wanted, when I started having sex at like 16, I really wanted it like to be hard and rough and, um, all the time. And mostly with men, I was, um, kind of scared of women. I was attracted to them, but I, I was, I was scared of, of coming off as predatory as, cause I didn't, I didn't want them to feel that way. Um, but I, but I've always felt like I've had a masculine side of me and I, and I was, and I've been ashamed of that before earlier in my life. Mm. For me, I know it's always been harder to figure out how to navigate, attraction with a woman, because I wouldn't ever want a woman who was only interested in friendship to get confused or uncomfortable Mm. if she thought I was coming on to her. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's always been really confusing about how to walk that line that just seems more obvious with men. Yeah, either they're interested or they're not. And either I'm interested or I'm not. But with women, it's, it's more challenging. Yes. Do you find that same thing? Yes, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, uh, yeah, just uh, approaching women or feeling like I've already built up this friendship with them. And we could already be kind of, you know, touchy feely or or what have you, um, or show affection to one another, but like actually saying the words, I'm attracted to you and I want to see where this goes. And I'm wondering if you want to like, you know, start something physical and see how we both like that. That's, that's kind of, that's been scary for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And then figuring out if we try that and we don't like it, how do we dial back and be okay with just going back to the friendship. friendship yeah. And, and not feeling awkward or, or that, yeah, that I, that I did something wrong. You know, I'd, I'd probably put the blame on myself that, you know, to, to have that, have that I started the conversation and then it went the way that I wasn't hoping for. And then I would feel, I don't know, bad about that maybe. Yeah. So you use a couple of words in describing yourself that maybe not everyone is familiar with. So I want to ask you what they mean to you. One is genderqueer mm-hmm. and one is pansexual. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, gender queer means that I, uh, from a young age, I've always felt that I've had like masculine and feminine tendencies. I've always wanted to, um, like in high school, I wanted a mohawk. I wore, I had a mohawk, but I would wear a dress and makeup and I'd feel like the masculine on my head, but like the feminine on my body. Um, or like I played soccer and I would wear like, you know, ribbon in my hair, you know, kind of be the sporty a type, a masculine type, but then, you know, accessorize in a feminine way. So 
genderqueer just means that I'm embodying both of those at the same time. And that's always felt more comfortable for me than, than leaning more towards one or the other. And, uh, mm-hmm. pansexual, mm-hmm. um, for me means that I'm attracted to all genders or people who are gender non-conforming or non-binary. Yeah. And do you, you said when we were first talking that you consider yourself sort of a gender nonconformist. Yeah, like I feel it's still something I'm navigating because I do feel like I'm a I'm a cis female and the fact that I wouldn't really manipulate my body in any way to to make it different. Um, I do love that I have a vulva. I love that I have breasts. I love that I have like this kind of goddess curvaceous body. But at the same time, like these masculine tendencies come out, like at, at some points I notice that, you know, I, I, I spread out, I spread my legs out or I like putting my arm up and I, and I don't see, you know, women doing these types of mannerisms. So that's when I started noticing that, like, that I didn't feel completely uh, feminine or girly all the time. Mm. I have seen this is a word that people in our culture are, are super uncomfortable with, but I have seen you refer to yourself as fat. Yes. So how what does that mean for you? And how does that impact your experience of sexuality? That I mean, it took a long time for me to call myself fat, or to at least tell myself that out loud and hear other people say it, I would say it in my head, but it was like, but there was a lot of shame around it. So saying it out loud would would confirm it. And, um, I didn't want that. And so in terms of my sexuality, it's been hard to, you know, have the lights on or, um, you know, if I'm with somebody, uh, or, you know, try different positions, um, like where I want to be on top, but it doesn't work because I have a really big stomach, um, and big thighs. And so, um, those things would play into, into our, um, activities. And then I just feel like I wasn't, um, that's all I was thinking about and I couldn't let that go and I couldn't enjoy myself fully and be present in the moment. And has that shifted for you as you, uh, I guess I wonder if the shame that you felt around the word fat impacted your ability to deal with it. And now that you claim the word, you can look at it and experience it a little differently. Or do you still have those same concerns uh, in the bedroom? I definitely still have concerns. It's more frustration with like shopping (laughs) um, and finding (laughs) clothes um, or, you know, things like that. But more, but now in the bedroom and just like, and just being more open with myself with others and then appreciating other bodies as well, because it's, there was a time that I looked at people who were my size or bigger and I, I wasn't attracted to them, which made me feel like I, there was something wrong, you know, with me that I, you know, that I'm not attracted to myself. How am I going to attract others to me? You know, that, that was super hard and that lasted a long time. And now I feel like I'm, I'm just more open and, I can appreciate someone's body because their body is attached to their soul and their heart. And that's what I'm after, you know, more. Um, that's what attracts me to them more. I remember for me, there was a really big shift when I got sexually involved with a woman and 
I heard her say over and over and over, no, let's keep the lights off. I'm fat. I don't want you to see me. I don't want you to look at me. And I looked at her and thought, oh my God, you are like a freaking goddess. You are so beautiful. You're one of the most beautiful human beings I have ever seen. And you can't see it. And you're telling me that you don't want me to look at it. And so maybe I need to start thinking a little differently about what I say to other people. Because if she could think that about herself, then maybe my thinking about myself was also skewed. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I like I've definitely gotten compliments that I'm not comfortable with in terms of, um, you know, goddess is a big one, um, saying I'm beautiful, saying I'm pretty, you know, for so long of my life, I've just not those words didn't resonate with me. Um, I my mom would say that, you know, I would I would tell her that I was um, that I I was sad about, you know, my body size and how I looked and she's like and she would say, well, you know, you have a pretty face. (laughs) um so I didn't you know I didn't get support from my parents um my dad like would yell at me if I took too much food and so it wasn't it it wasn't a fat supportive um or body positive um environment that I that I grew up in in terms of that and I think you know their intentions were good because they wanted me to I don't know they like they didn't want me to have to have low self-esteem. They wanted me to like work out and become skinny and not have to worry about how I, how I look to other people or how I appeared or have, um, or be depressed about it. Um, so I guess, you know, they had good intentions, but it didn't, it didn't feel right. My mom took me to Weight Watchers when I was 13. Um, and she was doing it too. You know, she'd always use the excuses as like, well, you know, we're going to lose weight together. We're doing it together you know, not singling me out, which felt okay, but it still felt weird to be like in middle school and going to Weight Watchers. Um, and that made me feel even worse. (laughs) So like there was something wrong with me. Yeah. So if there were a, a parent listening to this, whose child was coming to them and saying, I don't like the body that I'm in, what would you have wanted to hear as a child? What would have been supportive and helpful to you? Um, that, you know, we love you no matter what. We care about your health, which is, you know, my parents did use that line. Um, but it, it felt more like they were ashamed that I was, you know, and if, if we had big gatherings of family, then I would be, you know, I would be the biggest one. So it didn't, it didn't feel good in that way. Um, but I'd want, um, I'd want, you know, I want kids to feel like they, they matter and their body uh, I mean, their body matters, but, but it's, it's, it's about appreciating all the different sizes out there. And there's not just like one type of a body or size that people need to fit into. Um, so I would want parents just to, to realize that, that about their child and not come from a place of like, you need to change this about yourself, but like, I love you and I support you. And if you want to, you know, and there's ways that maybe we can talk about or brainstorm about that. Um, you know, if you're feeling sad about it or feeling like you have low self-esteem around your body size, um, you know, we can, we can talk about that and see what, see where you're coming from, not just be, you know, it be one-sided and that, that the parent knows what's best for the kid. I mean, you can have 120, uh, pound person who is the least healthiest person ever. And you can have a 
$250 or 250 pound person. Um, and they're super healthy and it's just, you know, it's genetics, it's whatever, but it's, it's, um, there's more to the story, you know, than, than just the outer appearance. And just for the record, do you find people who want to have sex with your body? I have. Yes. <laughs> I remember, I remember, um, it was, uh, uh, it was actually in, in regards to my, my body hair, which I've, you know, felt self-conscious about along with my weight. Um, but it was, uh, when someone told me that they, I was lying on my stomach, I was naked and they liked the little tufts of, um, butt hair coming out of my crack. <laughs> and I was like, really? Cause I always want that to be gone because <laughs> I'm so ashamed by it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've definitely found folks who, who just like, who look me up and down with a smile on their face and it's like, and they really appreciate what I am, um, because they, they know me, you know, they, they, they understand me, they love me and it feels really good. Mm. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. And together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. So let's talk a little bit about the your sexual history um, more specifically. What was your first experience of sex? Interesting. So my first experience with sex... Uh, let me say, your first experience with partnered sex as opposed to solo sex. Okay. And when you say sex, you mean... Um, Whatever it means to you. Okay. I would say it was my friend's older brother in a van... <laughs> Um, and I was 16 and he was 24. Wow. I was attracted to him. I thought he was like really hot. 
and uh, I had snuck outside and he was having a cigarette or something. And we went to a van, like went to his van. Um, it was like my friends having a birthday slumber party. Everyone was sleeping. <laughs> and um, and uh, we started kissing. I was on top of him. And then he put himself, he put his penis inside me for a second, maybe, you know, five seconds. And it, instantly I just didn't want it. And I said, I'm not ready for this. So I, um, you know, I left. Um, and he respected that. He did respect that. Well, yeah. Good man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I feel fortunate that that was the case. Yeah. yeah. And also a good, strong young woman to be able to say, ah, this isn't working for me. Yeah. Yeah. It just like, I, I instantly want, you know, I, I really, really wanted it. I, I was like imagining it in my head that it'd be like really, really hot. And as soon as it has just the tip, you know, went inside me. It just, it didn't feel right. I didn't feel ready. So, um, yeah, I stopped it. Wow. I imagine after that kind of uh, experience, you would be looking for an experience where you were ready. So when did that happen? Yes. Um, so I, uh, found my first partner of two months. We dated, um, but we met at a job, um, that we, uh, called fiddlesticks. It was like a go-kart mini golf place. And, um, I, uh, he was really cool. Uh, I really liked him. Um, and he, you know, he treated me very well. Um, so I was 17 and he was 22. Oh, you went for the older man? I was the older <laughs> yeah, there's a pattern. <laughs> and so uh, what do you remember from your first experience with him? Were you ready? Um, I, I felt, yeah, I was ready. It was on a couch. <laughs> um, and, um, we were making out and, uh, I was really stoned on weed and it just, I don't know. We were, it wasn't, it wasn't super memorable, but I, I, in terms of like, or it being really special, like taking our time to take each other's clothes off or, you know, create this ambiance of, of that you might see in the movies or something. Um, but I, I don't know. I just had this bond with him and I really enjoyed it when he was inside me and he treated me with respect. So I, I, that helped, obviously. Good. And to be fair, I'm not sure I know many 17 or 22 year olds who would like take the time and have the touching. You know, like. <laughs> That's something that we romanticize, but I'm not sure we actually get it when no, we're that no. age. <laughs> yeah, I remember one. Uh, He's my weed dealer. <laughs> and um, I went over to his place and he was someone who I thought was super sexy. Like, he was just this person who everyone would think was sexy. And I felt very special that I was, that he wanted to have sex with me. And it happened a lot of, it happened a good amount of times, but it was to the point where like, we'd kiss a little bit. We'd, we'd be in his bedroom. We'd kiss a little bit. Um, he would, uh, lie me down on my back. We, he would kiss my breasts for maybe 10 seconds. Then he would turn me over <laughs> and he would fuck me from behind and then um, he would uh, come on my back and say, good girl. Huh. And then get off the bed and give me a towel. Wow. And I had to reach around to like <laughs> to wipe off my own back of, of his cum. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, so that, that didn't feel good. No. <laughs> but, but I kept going back because I... I thought there was something special about me that he saw and, and I didn't have, I didn't have the voice 
to say like, hey, what about me? Hey, let's talk about doing other stuff. Hey, I'm not sure if I like you just, you know, doing these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you learn to have that voice? It came later um, after I had, uh, after I started uh, going out with my partner when I was 19, he was 16. We stayed together for two years and we just had a, we had like, we went to a store and bought like a bondage 101 game and we just had, um, just really good sexual chemistry. And we'd, we'd, we were able to talk not as much as I can now about like sex and, and, you know, breaking it down step by step about what we wanted, but we were very respectful of each other. And, um, we just had, it was always hot and we always wanted each other. We were always horny for each other. Um, so with him, I felt very safe in that, like, you know, you're not, I'm not, I don't know if I like you doing that, but maybe doing this instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said that you've gotten even better at that. Mm-hmm. What kinds of conversations are important to you now? Well, definitely. Um, I work, or I, uh, I'm in leadership for uh, Sex Positive Portland here um, in Portland. And uh, it's a chapter of Sex Positive World. And uh, we've, uh, someone, our CEO has created a uh, the stars talk where I am, we, someone is able to talk with somebody else about their STI status, their turn ons, their avoids, their relationship agreements and intentions and their safer sex etiquette stars. Um, and that's where I really found my voice in terms of like, you know, feeling like I'm not, it's not set in stone of what I want with this person or at this, at this one time, I can change it no matter what I can retract my consent. I can, um, you know, I can uh, be more respectful of their boundaries and make sure I'm asking them questions as well as, you know, making sure I'm saying my own, um, having my own voice around what I want and don't want. Mm -hmm. So I've actually interviewed Eveline, uh, the creator of stars, and we have an episode, of her talking about her sexual history, as well as an episode of her explaining the whole stars talk, and then me doing a sample stars talk with excellent somebody else, excellent. so that everybody can hear it because <laughs> it really is life changing. Yes, it is honest to god, life changing. At least is. it was for me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was amazing, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I I adore Evelyn, and I'm so glad that that was introduced to. To me and others that can take advantage of that and know about that. Now she's continuing to spread that that movement. I don't know um, to, to colleges and schools and where it's needed. And so, yeah, I'm really excited to to know that that's happening. Yeah, I know that you now consider yourself polyamorous. Mm-hmm. Have you always? Um, it's felt like that. I never, I didn't always have a word um, have the you know polyamory as as a word to um, identify myself with. Um, but when I started having sex, it felt better for me to have friends with benefits, um, versus trying to seek out like a partner marriage, kids never really appealed to me. Um, limiting myself to just one person didn't feel right. Um, it felt more natural to, um, to like, you know, see someone on Saturday, then see someone else on Sunday then see someone else on Wednesday. And, um, you know, some of these people were friends first, and then we developed like a sexual relationship, which only brought us closer. A um, couple of them didn't work out that way. It, it kind of ruined the, the friendship and, you know, you live, you learn. Um, and then others were that, um, that I did gain a relationship with that person. So, um, but it, but two big relationships that I've been in, in my life, um, with cis men, I cheated on them and I, I told them after, but it like the temptation was so strong and I just couldn't, 
I'll say keep it in my pants. <laughs> um, it was too strong. It was too much of a pull. I had too much of a desire to experience being sexual and being with someone on that level to where I just couldn't limit it to one person. So in those two relationships, um, was the assumption monogamy? Mm-hmm. And would, had that ever been talked about specifically? Nope. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was just an assumption yeah. because that's the cultural assumption. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you were to get into those relationships today, how would you do it differently? Um, I would be open and upfront right right off the bat and say that I'm not wired for a closed relationship or a monogamous relationship. I'd want to be open. I'd be open to having a nesting partner and then, you know, having a relationship, like a secondary relationship on the side. Um, but I, I really love the idea of kitchen table polyamory, which is where you know, if I'm in a relationship with somebody and they have, you know, additional partners, I have additional partners, we all know each other. We all can like sit down at a table together and have a meal together. And it's not, you know, there's more compersion than jealousy. There's more conversation than just, um, you know, I, oh, I don't know. I don't want to know about them. Don't tell me their name. Um, make sure like, you know, you uh, don't give me any details after you come home from a date. I, I would love, you know, if I'm in a relationship with someone and they go on a date, I want to hear some details. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you, did you have to learn compersion? Um, no, it always felt pretty natural for me because I, um, when I was younger and, and being more in like a friends with benefits type relationships, I wasn't jealous if they had, if they were having sex with other people and just like, I didn't want them to be jealous of me having sex with other people. Nice. Um, and then you you said relationship anarchy, and I think you gave a, a little definition of it, but can you talk about it a little bit more? Yeah. Um, so again, just uh, seeing um, relationship, me being in a relationship with somebody doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to do all the things and uh, that are on the checklist of like, this is what a romantic relationship should be. This is what a sexual relationship should be. This is what a friendship should be. Um, I don't have expectations around how we go about being with each other day to day, because I know that sexuality is fluid. I know that, um, you know, gender is fluid. If I don't feel attracted to someone one day, that's okay. But I have, but what I, what I really like about it is that I can have a friend who I'm super snuggly with and super affectionate with, and we're not romantic and we're not sexual. And I can have someone that I'm just, you know, see on Sundays that I'm, that I just want to have sex with and that's it. It can be all those things. It can be a combination of things. I really like how it's, um, one person described it as treating your friends more like lovers and your lovers more like friends. Hmm. I like that. Nice. Um, I want to ask you a question that you are, of course, welcome to answer or not answer as you choose. Have you had non-consensual experiences sexually? Yes. Is that something you're willing to talk about? Uh, Yes. Yes, I can. Okay. How old were you? Um, 20. Can you tell me what happened? Um, I was, it was at a party. Uh, I was drinking. Um, We were all drinking. And I didn't... I was kind of attracted to this person, but I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like having sex with them. Um, but I ended up doing it because it was easier to say yes 
um, than no. And it was like, I didn't see him ever after that. And it, it was in like someone else, like the, someone else's bed. It was a very like, not fun experience, but I'm also like, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Um, and I haven't, I've never been raped. I've never been, um, uh, um, molested. It's, um, I consider myself very fortunate being that I have friends who have gone through these, um, situations and experiences and it's heart wrenching. But, uh, yeah, that was the one time that I just like, I didn't feel like it, but it just, it felt easier to do it and get it over with. I think it's so important to talk about that as a non-consensual experience, because there is this idea in our culture that if I say no, then that means it was non-consensual. But if I don't say no, then that means anything is fine. And that's not the case. What If we're not showing up really excited and and in our hell, hell yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> then there's something wrong. And it sounds like what you experienced that, it, that so many of us have had of it's easier just to, just to submit and get it over with than it is to, to keep pushing back or to say no, that is coercion. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not a consensual experience. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm sorry that you went through that. Thank you. And did that impact your sexuality, your experience of your sexuality in any way going forward? I mean, it definitely like, you know, that and, and, you know, witnessing my friends and, and especially like my girlfriends and how they went about um, being in relationships with men and how like, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't bad the way men were treating them, but it was like, it wasn't the best either. It was like, you know, making them feel small and um, making them feel not important or they were only important if they did these certain things. And um, from from an objective standpoint, because I didn't have many relationships and I saw a lot of my friends go through multiple relationships, it just made me think like, you, you know, you're like, it's serial dating. Like, you're not happy with this person. You're not happy with this person. You're not happy with this person. Like something's going on. So I felt like I had um, a way of, um, I don't know, like removing myself and, and noticing that this is happening and that I don't want to be like, I don't want that to happen to me. Hmm. Yeah. So what do you look for now? Hmm. Um, I look for humor. (laughs) I look for kindness and compassion. I look for cuddles. Someone who's good with their hands uh, someone I can just enjoy life with and have conversations with and, and be silly and take life not so seriously. Someone who's willing to show up, someone who's wanting to have the stars conversation, someone who's not afraid of being open about their sexuality and what they want and what they don't want. Nice. (laughs) I want all of that for you. (laughs) Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. 
Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you. Whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener, I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. Before we let Yaz go, let's do the quick five. Five quick questions that we'd usually be too polite to ask even our best friends. Favorite sex position? Um, uh, Side saddle, Uh, which means that I am on my side with my leg up and um, someone is fucking me on their knees on the bed. Sex during your period? Um, I'm not opposed to it. It hasn't happened a lot. Um, I've had, I, I, I did like it, but I also was like, um, uh, self-conscious about it. Um, but the person I was with said they really liked it. So, um, that made me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) Hair down there or bare? Oh, so, uh, uh, I like having hair mostly because I hate shaving because I'm Middle Eastern and it sucks. (laughs) Um, because I'd spend like an hour just on my bush. Um, I've discovered shortcuts in terms of, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, clippers. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, uh, I have gotten, um, I have gotten wax down there, which I really loved, but, um, it's, it's expensive. And then I get, um, you know, uh, what's it called? Um, ingrown hairs. ingrown hairs. Um, so I like that have maybe doing that like two times a year. Cause I really like it when it's super smooth. Um, it's such a nice change, but, um, trimmed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> What is your go-to masturbation fantasy? Jacuzzi jets. <laughs> In what way? <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, people are watching. 
I don't know. I'm at like one of those like awesome pools in Vegas. (laughs) 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 Or the Caribbean. (laughs) Um, Somewhere, somewhere like, yeah, somewhere cool. Um, And just, uh, uh, I don't know, going into, let's see. I'm thinking about this right now because I I have many fantasies, but this is the first one that popped into my head. Um, So I'm going into uh, the hot tub or jacuzzi. I'm naked. There's like jets, just there's like four of them all around. And um, I go up to one and I can like, I can set my hands on the edge of the jacuzzi on the, on the deck part. And, um, uh, and then the water's really low. So the, the jet, you can, the jet is visible. And then I'd be like, or, and then I'd be like leaning in and then like leaning back. Um, but like right on my clit would be awesome. With people watching. With people watching. <laughs> <laughs> Do you swallow or not? I do swallow. I used to not swallow, but I swallow now. What made you change? It got inconvenient to spit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I started not minding the taste. Like, yeah, I kind of like the taste now. So, (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this with me. It's been so much fun to sit and talk with you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I felt like this was such a good session. I got a lot out. Um, Yeah, I felt... It was a good release for me, so thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Hear that, it people? Feels like therapy. <laughs> Come talk to me. It'll make you feel good. <laughs> That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash good girls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex-positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life.